welcome back to the Some Sort of Miracle podcast. I'm Ed, and I'm here today with Emily. Hello. With Nick. Hi, yeah. With Paul. Hi. And I've messed up the inflection there, expecting a fifth person. <laughs> That's it today. It's just the four of us. Um, and today we are answering a question that was asked to us by Danny in the listener group, which is on heaven, hell, and eternity. And yeah, this is an episode that we've kind of been thinking about for a little while and been thinking, oh, do we tackle it? Is it just too hard? And then we saw Danny um, drop that comment in the listener group and thought, no, let's give it a go. We don't really have all the answers. We're not experts. We're not, um, we're not kind of outstanding theologians or anything, but we're, we're going to have a crack and just share some of the questions we've got around that topic. Uh, so we hope you enjoy that. And um yeah, and if you'd like to get in touch with any questions of your your own um, or any kind of your own opinions, we'd love to hear those and carry on the conversation here in the listener group. So if you'd like to get involved with that, just go onto Facebook and type SSOM listener group and you can join in the conversation there. So let's jump straight into our icebreaker question. When you die and meet God, what statistic would you like to know? Are you asking, this is a statistic personal to our own lives isn't it just to clarify yeah like from your life so it could be anything it could be like how many breaths did I take in my life or how many steps did I take in my lifetime or well, that sort of thing <laughs> not enough is the answer to that not enough yeah <laughs> I'm gonna have to be um how many packets of crisps have I eaten um and I know I ate three in one day the other day so I know that it's not it's going to be a high statistic but I'm interested to know how many it really is I don't think three is that bad to be fair in a day do you not no no I'd easy do a six pack just in one sitting <laughs> <laughs> oh that makes me feel better <laughs> do you want to include in that statistic which one was the favoured choice of like flavour oh which oh, yeah. I ate the most of oh, yeah yeah how many about how many individual crisps yeah that's a good one I like that. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's going to be mine. Me and Nick have been discussing these statistics for about 10 years, I reckon. So we've got some good ones over <laughs> a lot of discussions about this. <laughs> Mine are all really stupid, though. Like things like, uh, like how many times I've written the letter E and like, have I used a blue pen more than a black pen? <laughs> like just really, really boring stuff. What about how much time you could ask? How much time did me and Nick waste talking about statistics? That we <laughs> <Great> shall. <laughs> <laughs> a lot longer i don't want the answer to that question that's the problem um one, one that i like is of all the arguments i've had how many were i right for um, yeah how many was i right for that was bad english um yeah i'd like a win percentage of yeah how how correct i was on average um i would like a heat map of my life to see where i spent the most time sure i think that'd be quite cool that'd be good I'd like to know, like, the the fastest I've travelled on land. Like, because you never you never really clock it. Like, if you're in a car or you're driving or someone else driving or if you're on a runway in a plane, you can mm. never really know. So I'd like to know, like, the specifics of how fast I've been. Yeah, I think it was probably in your Ibiza. <laughs> for, for me, <laughs> that would be the fastest I've ever gone. And it was 606. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me it would be comparative to the rest of humanity – what was the thing I was best at? Nice. Like, where would, like, what's the thing that I would rank highest at? Top percentage. Would you like to know that rank? 
definitely be a mountain of crisps eaten. Like, I'm <laughs> out. Like, <laughs> that is my accolade. Yeah. That says quite a lot about your heart positions that you're entering heaven. And Paul wants to know how many <laughs> he was right, and you want to know what you were best at. Yeah, very competitive. <laughs> I mean, there's making some big assumptions about the fact that we're getting there, I guess. <laughs> would, you, would you want to know the rank? Like, whatever you were best oh, yeah. at, into, you'd want to know how high you were. Yeah, yeah. Or how Even with like, the risk of that being like 10 millionth. Yeah. I sometimes look on like Call of Duty, you know, and it ranks you against all the people who have played on it. Absolutely. And it's like, there's millions of people on it. I think you're in, the, you're in the top 10%, but it's like, I'm not, by the way. But if you were, yeah. you're still only like 110,000th in the world. It's like... It's a little bit depressing, but I reckon you'll be much higher than that, Ed, in some of your, some I of hope your so. endeavors. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice. Kind of like massaging each other's ego. Yes, that's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's what we came for. <laughs> it's quite telling that no one told me they thought I'd won more arguments than I'd lost. <laughs> hey, well, it's not worth the argument, Paul. <laughs> no, <really Yeah>. not. <laughs> Let's jump into our first question. That's over to Paul. So my question is, hopefully a fairly simple one comparatively. Should we fear death? Yep, that's simple for today. Like should and do is different as well, isn't it? Because I don't know the I don't, well, I don't know the answer to that. I do know the answer to whether I do or not, but I don't have an answer if, if we should or not. <laughs> should we answer whether we do or not first? Because I know I do. <laughs> yeah, I think even then it's like subjective to time, place, circumstances, surroundings yeah. for me. Like growing up as a child, I remember getting to the age where I was very conscious that my parents would die one day. And that was like a really like horrible thing. And I would have nightmares about, about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm probably with you. Yeah, I think sometimes, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's for, like it's human nature to fear the unknown, isn't it? And when mm. when it is such an unknown, because there's you know no one really comes back from it, do they? Apart from Jesus, obviously. Um, but yeah, trying to yeah, trying to think about something that you know is unknown and will never know the answer to. I think there'll always be an element of fear or trepidation, certainly. For me, anyway. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a lot easier to say no right now until there's a bus coming at you and then suddenly you're actually quite scared or if you stood on top of like a high cliff or something like at that point it's quite difficult to argue i think it'd be nice for me to think that i don't fear death but when you put yourself into that dangerous position it's probably a completely different emotion sort of knowing i think that some people have you know i've even heard people describe like death and the death of loved ones as like beautiful spiritual experiences. I give a personal example of that. My grandma um, died, like just basically drifted away, like listening to the song, believe it or not, listening to the tune, Steal Away to Jesus. Um, you know, when you're just like, all right, grandma, like you've absolutely nailed that one. Like, <laughs> and uh, you know, there was, I mean, it was still so devastating to lose someone that you love, but she just like, she did just, she went in this beautiful way. And for my mum, who was there with her, you know, she was like, that was um, actually a beautiful spiritual experience. And I have heard other people describe it in that way. I take comfort in that. 
um, that it, it's possible that death can be very dignified and it can be beautiful and you can feel loved in that. I think that's the thing that comforts me about, about death. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think yeah, the what Danny had said was like, should should we fear it? And I guess that that's like a whole other ball game, isn't it? Whether when when I first read that, I thought I had an answer for it, but the more I thought about it, the less I think I really really don't. I'm really not sure. I guess the simple Christian answer would be no, because we trust yeah. a God that that will ultimately. Um, you know, look after us, and we believe He's a loving God that ha- you know is control of of history and control of everything. So, w- what then should we fear? Um, but you know, like we're like we've we've expressed a number of times when it comes to it, when when we kind of reach that point, or, or our life is in danger, fear is a really natural response, isn't it? Um, and I don't think that's I don't think that that lessens our faith or lessens whether we're a Christian or not. Because we can be- we can believe something, but I I, know, I, know, I I struggle to see myself in a place where I believe without any shred of doubt whatsoever. Yeah, I can identify with that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure because I've I kind of feel like I'm the the I'm all I'm probably ninety nine point nine percent sure, but there's still a part of me that I think just not. It's just the, yeah, just the unknown. I guess that point one is is powerful, isn't it? When it's applied in the right in the right way, and I think before we talk about that a little bit later on, is like the application of what we believe or what we've grown up believing. Um, yeah, so I suppose there's, there's lots of unknown factors, not least of all, like where, how, when, what, when these these things happen, but also then what then what afterwards what i mean we can infer and and take so much from scripture but that's that's kind of all we've got to go on with this isn't it like there's there's nothing else outside of scripture for guidance apart from yeah maybe a few experiences of of people that have sort of flitted either side of of that with with i know we talked before about near-death experiences and things like that of but yeah, there's still there's just so much unknown, and that for me doesn't doesn't quite sit right. As I, I feel like I'm kind of all right of it, but there's still something that just doesn't sit right. I guess that's probably so. I'd say that's probably the, that is fear, maybe. That we know that we shouldn't fear. We know that we shouldn't fear death. I've just been thinking about you know the lyrics of from In Christ Alone, no guilt in life no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. Everyone, I mean, I always get choked up singing that line because yeah. I'm like, no guilt in life, woohoo, this is great news. No fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. I'm like, this is emotional because I know that I shouldn't have fear in death, but there still is that, like, you know, there still is that slight fear within me. But I also think it's really interesting that as Christians, we know we should have, have no fear in death. And yet we've used death as a motivating factor to get people to join faith. We've actually used the fear of death as a, as a tool to mm. evangelize in the past. Um, yeah. I think that's like pretty backwards and not great. Yeah, we've weaponized it, haven't yeah. we? Yeah. And I guess you could, oh, that's quite a good way of looking at, like separating the fear of death and fear in death as well. 
So you've got the physical fear of, I don't want to get hit by this bus coming at me, which I think is a fairly natural survival instinct of, yeah, I'm just going to, I need to get out of the way quickly, which is where some of that fear probably comes from. <clears throat> and then a fear in death of, if death happens, am I scared of the consequences of? Mm. Yeah. So, Paul, you should just stop standing in the middle of roads. I mean, stay away from the buses. Yeah. <laughs> It makes me think of that that quote um, that courage is not the absence of fear, but the uh, strength to overcome it, or something like that. I don't know where that's from. It's probably from a film or something, isn't it? Um, I think that's Dumbledore. Like, I is it Dumbledore? It Dumbledore with a lot of things, but I feel like that might be him. Yeah, but I guess when, when you frame fear like that, I would say that I, I hope I would have courage in the face of death because of my faith in Christ. But yeah. I would still then experience the fear because that's the natural human reaction to, to death. Um, but actually to, to find courage and have hope be, to overcome it, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> I guess this is all framed along, like, along something we'll discuss later as well, like how we actually perceive yeah. life, what we perceive life after death to be, if anything... Or, or you know how that's separated and how that works as well i guess that's probably quite an important motivating factor in our thinking behind whether we fear death or what's beyond death um so yeah that's that i guess that distinction probably be quite important because i think i think the more i don't the realize i don't know the less comfortable it becomes hmm. um but you can only yeah i think when it's concrete and you say well no, I'm a good person, so oh, I believe in Jesus, so I'm going to go to heaven, which is like the traditional view. There's yeah. quite a lot of comfort in that, but um, but I think if you unpick that, it starts to become a little bit more grey. I'm hearing a student at the moment who is really terrified of death, and um, it's actually led to um, some real, like, obsessive compulsive behaviors of like if I do this a certain number of times it means that I won't die and um it's really challenging because usually when somebody has anxiety and you know you work through therapeutic um cognitive behavior techniques you can rationalize it in a way where you say that this isn't this fear is irrational and it's not necessarily real mm. but when it comes to death you know that actually this is something that is going to pass. So it can't be something that's dismissed as like false and an untruth. Does that make sense? So mm -hmm. it's really, really difficult to like, help and support somebody. The approach to it is to try to shift the focus more to life. And I think that that's just a really good answer sort of to this question of should we fear death is that we should actually, what we should really what we should really fear is a life fearing death. Does that make sense? Like mm. we should live. Like Jesus came to give us life in all his fullness. And I've often thought, I don't want to live a life of fearing death, I think. Mm. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense actually. Mm. Just re reminded me actually of um, a quote from Richard Raw in The Universal Christ. I probably mentioned it on here before, but he he talks about having faith in the resurrection um, and the fact that there will be a new eternal life for 
for all of us that um, because he just sees that proclaimed throughout all of creation this cycle of death and new life or life death and resurrection is just repeated throughout all of nature it's kind of everywhere you look and actually that then we when we see that in the person of christ like jesus is like the the cliff notes the the summary of everything of all of creation of the promise of eternity for us all and i guess i i i was so struck by that i I think that's one of the moments i had to stop reading and i had to just go i need to just think about that for a while and it's really affected the way i see see the world actually that when you start seeing this cycle of life death and resurrection it is everywhere it's in all of us the stories that we tell each other it's in all of nature it's in it's in the bible it's so it's so exciting and I think if if God were trying to communicate that to us and to give us hope that there is something beyond death, I think he's doing that really well. (laughs) I think that's everywhere for us to see if we choose to see it. Okay, so my question is, do we believe that a loving God could send people to hell? Just a light one then. Light one. I told you mine was the light question. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was mad when we were planning these questions and we <laughs> worked out that should we fear death was the nice open gentle one to open with <laughs> um, i'm gonna start off by just saying no yeah um i think we've had this me and ed have had this, this conversation quite a lot um i had this sort of discussion and ed's talked for me about different people that he's read about essentially um and i'm sure some of those will come up very soon and already have come up um and i've looked into it a lot and i've looked at the um meanings of the words used for hell in the bible and i don't want to cross too much that we might cover soon so i'm going to leave it there for for that but the one thing that that kind of brings me back around to this is i i I can't believe in a infinitely loving god sending people to a place of infinite torture for a crime that we can only commit as finite if that makes sense makes sense to me paul makes perfect sense yeah i just can't get past that i think i've mentioned a few like a few on a few episodes where i personally sit with this and i can't it does it doesn't make any sense at all and and it was it was kind of it was almost like a, a real pillar point in my face when i came across this i got to a point where i was thinking I've got I've thought a lot about this and I've acquired quite a lot of information and knowledge and I've read a lot about this and there's still big holes in in what I can see the Christian story to be what how can that be when it's you know if it's true it's true so there's you know can't be any holes in it and 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 what that led me to think is if it's true then I can examine it properly I can pull it to bits and and really strip it down because it'll stand up against anything that I can throw against it. And it led me along various reading, various books. Um, I know we chatted about it quite a bit and, and debated all the way through this journey, really, um, from a traditional view of heaven and hell. If yeah, All you need to do is believe in Jesus to, to go to heaven. And if not, you go to hell. I just can't see how... It, how God being all loving that that could be the case, particularly when I see friends, family who are, who have become parents for the first time, you see the love they have for that that child, 
it becomes a little bit more uh, a bit more real when you can see it like tangibly right in front of your face particularly for, like, for me family members have got a nephew and a niece um and you know when it's you know one of your own you kind of look a little bit more differently don't you so um seeing that love poured out on this child and thinking well I, I couldn't see choices being made by those parents to say if you do this thing that you might not be able to do everything will be fine but if if you choose not to do it or you can't do it then you know for the rest of your life it's going to be torture like how how does that make any sense at all mm. um and i think we'll put i'll, I'll stop there because there's a lot to there's a lot to go in and there's a lot of history behind it but sure um yeah it's i, I saw the short answer would be no i don't believe that that is the case from a lot of reading and discussion yeah I'll push back a bit from the other side and if if we're to say then that God will, you know, eventually just bring everyone into heaven and no one goes to hell. How much free will uh, do we have in that situation then? Because if God is saying, no, you will be with me, you will be in my presence, you will love me you, and all of these things. And we don't have a choice to reject him. We don't have that ability to say, no, I don't want that. I choose. I, I choose the other thing i choose i choose hell do we like is that loving if we don't have the ability to exercise free will in saying no to that i guess it's the same as like the exercising the free will to be born in the first place would be my, my response like you don't have you're here you didn't get that choice so and as a result of that there's certain parameters didn't you are on earth you can't be somewhere else you can't choose to you know, to live on, well, I suppose you could try and choose to live on Mars, but you'd struggle. Um, so, yeah, that, that would be my response to that is th there is some things that there isn't really a two-way choice within existing being one of them and God's existence being another. There's a couple of bits of scripture that I think fit fairly nicely with this in terms of speaking of the character of God. I don't think they necessarily answer the question, but they definitely point towards the character. And uh, the first references are taken from Ezekiel that say, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, says the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, says the Lord God. So turn and live. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And then there's another one that is, well, there's two more, one taken from 2 Peter that says the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Um, which obviously that's a, a different thing, you know, talking about repentance there, because that's still making making a choice, isn't it? So that kind of has implications with free will. But then one also taken from 1 Timothy that says, he desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. I think what that's, that scripture does is it points back towards the character of a loving God who doesn't want to um, see his people suffering. Definitely. It's really interesting. The, the first one from Ezekiel is about, um, about life, like turn and live. That's like both physical and, and metaphoric isn't it like you're saying you don't want people to die as in physically to die whilst they're wicked but also to be alive as in what we what i believe life to be in all its fullness which is which is following jesus and it reminded me I, i'm probably gonna um i'll paraphrase because i can't exactly remember where but there's um 
a story of Jesus talking to the rich man and he's saying, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And he says, um, his response, if you want to enter life, um, keep the commandments and whatever else he says. And then it goes on to sell his possessions and things because he realizes that that's what's keeping him from life in all its fullness. But that's very here and now. That's very this this world. And that's that's where I come from with, with this is that heaven heaven can be here heaven is now and hell is the same hell can be now hell can be here we see it. i mean seen stuff on the news recently with um these conflicts going on all over the world but it seems to get a lot of coverage when it's in the middle east and i mean part of that looks like hell on earth to me that's that's what hell looks like but then when you see the other side of things and you see humanity supporting each other and some of the you know some of the things during the pandemic and things where people have really pulled together that's what heaven looks like to me that's but that's here and now. And, and that for me is what Jesus is saying. And the same in Ezekiel as well, I think, Emily, that he's saying turn away from that and enter life now, not enter life in a different place in the future, in heaven or wherever that is, but but do it now here. For want of a better phrase, I want to play devil's advocate. Um, <laughs> you've, you've already heard where my standpoint is, but um, specifically to sort of, what you were saying there, Nick, what do you say to people who would then quote the, the times in the Bible where the word hell is used or translated versions of? Yeah, I think that's, that's a really important question as well. When you see it in, when you see it in the Bible and it doesn't appear very often as, as we'll talk about in a moment, but it's, it's often the word uh, Gehenna, which is um, a very physical place. It was, um, the southwest of the city uh, um, of Jerusalem, which was pretty much the rubbish dump. So when it talks about it, there's always a fire going because the people were burning rubbish and gnashing of teeth is animals that are fighting over scraps for of meat and things like that. So whenever you see Jesus particularly talking about hell, Gehenna, he's talking about a place, a real place. It's not, and, and to the people that he was speaking to, that would have made sense. It'd be like saying, I'm going to name a city then, but I don't want to say that it sounds like hell. Um, I'm a Bradford boy, so I can say Bradford. So it's like saying, yeah, like it's like going to Bradford. It's going to Gehenna. It's it's, um, it's a place, it's a valley outside of the city walls. So so for me, understanding that, again, makes more sense of how this heaven and hell is here, is now, is real. And it's that's what that's the point of it, isn't it? And and that's also a response to the people who say, well, you know, if everyone gets to heaven, then what's the point of being a Christian? Like that, the answer to that was being that it's bringing the kingdom here, heaven on earth. That's the point. That's the whole point of mm. for me. That's the point in life. Yeah, I, I remember when I I was first kind of exploring some of this. I, I read uh, Love Wins by Rob Bell. Yeah, and someone saw me reading it, and they said. Oh well, if you if you believe all that he says, then what's the point of being a Christian? What's the point of anything? And I I, I was just so struck by the question. I was like, I don't know how to answer it because I don't understand where it's coming from. Are we really saying that the cornerstone of our faith is hell, and that if you remove hell, then it all falls apart? And I thought, that's just not where. That's just not how I see my faith. Like, like even if like people do, do believe in hell, is that is that the one thing that if you take apart everything crumbles? I think it's it's a subtext that question, isn't it? For yeah. have I been wasting my time with all this church Jesus stuff? If everyone gets to go to heaven like that, and that again tells you another story, doesn't it? It tells you like the foundation for 
that faith or that belief or or what's been inherited or or learned or taught. And I think that's why this is this for me is a really exciting episode to to record because this this change of thought led me on a massive journey towards yeah. understanding God a little bit better. And I'd never pretend to have all the answers or even a percent of the answers, but just to be able to understand a little bit more and for it to make a little bit more sense to me has been really transformational. So um, I'm really yeah. very pleased to be able to share on it. Can I share a little bit from an article that I read today, which I thought was really like aptly described heaven, um, which I really like. Um, heaven in biblical terms is not primarily a place. It's a shorthand for the full blessing of relationship with God. It's the prodigal son come home. It's the bride being embraced by her husband with tears of joy. It's the new heavens and the new earth where God's people with upgraded resurrection bodies enjoy eternity with him. Heaven is home, an embodied experience of deep relationship with God and his people on a recreated earth. Um, I really like that because it points to the very tangible examples of heaven biblically, but also that we can see and experience um, physically in the world so for example that bit where it talks about the bride and meeting the groom like mm. you know probably getting married and meeting Matthew at the altar was one of the most spiritual experiences not least because of our love but because it felt like a picture of like recreation and like the power of all that that, that meant but I'm interested to know what you think about the next bit because it goes on to say hell then is the opposite it's the door shut in the face of the wastrel son it's the divorce certificate delivered at the moment of remorse um if jesus is the bread of life loss of jesus means starving if jesus is the light of the world loss of jesus means darkness if jesus is the good shepherd loss of jesus means wandering alone and lost so i suppose this article's pointing to the idea of ne not necessarily heaven and hell as um, places to be sent but actually what it can mean for us on earth as well definitely I think that's that's really important and foundational for me is that idea that heaven's here but and and hell's here and I think that's quite a nice way of putting it in parts that I'm not sure if I'd go uh, fully uh, on board with the full thing but I think in parts of saying you know to, to be missing Jesus is you know is is hell on earth i think that it's, it's difficult to explain i guess when you a nice way of, of putting it i suppose is if you see heaven as a, on earth has been tolerance and loving and community then hell on earth would be someone who is racist living within that society like that would be their hell like to, to live within this tolerant really loving society they're, they're living in, in the hell there and i think that kind of hatred already is is a yeah, a nudge towards living in some kind of hell. Um, but that's it's so circumstantial and so different from person to person. It's hard to put a banner over over that bath. I think that's that's kind of where I'm coming from, is that is heaven is joining in with the kingdom right here, but hell is the opposite of that, wanting the destruction of all the things that are good within the kingdom here. Ed's got a puzzled face and I want to know what he's thinking. <laughs> oh, I'm so, I've got like three or four strands going off and I'm like wh which is the one that makes sense <laughs> I'm not sure any of them do unfortunately um, what you just said Nick reminded me of, of um, 
like a story that described the heaven and hell thing. And it it's um, of this long table that everyone's invited to. And everyone sat at this table and they're all given these really long uh, sets of knives and forks. And those that try and feed themselves hate it because the, the forks are so long they can't get the food into their mouths. They're so long that they can't feed themselves and that it feels like constant starvation to them. But those that put others' needs above their own are feeding each other. And that experience, so they've got the same reality, but because of their perception, it, it comes across differently. And I've never ne known if I actually believe that or <laughs> think there's truth to it, but I think it kind of ties into some of what you were saying there about our, our perception shaping what we experience in that. What did everyone, I know this is kind of a question off the cuff, but what, what was everyone's perception of heaven and hell growing up? We all kind of come from this traditional, mm. because I, I spoke about, uh, from my own experience earlier, just kind of growing up traditional church values, believe God to heaven, don't believe God to hell. And that ask, I mean, that poses so many questions initially, least of all, you know, if you lose a loved one who doesn't profess to be a Christian, then what? Like there's, there's so much behind that. But do you guys, did you have the same kind of experience and, and how did that change for you? Yeah, I, I had, well, we went to the same church for, for most of our <laughs> young life. Um, yeah um for the most part i think the thing that made me start to question it was like you say when a loved one that doesn't believe dies what what happens to them even if they you know good people in quote marks um that was what kind of prompted that conversation internally in me to to, to begin with mm. um so this it doesn't seem just um yeah don't know about anyone else yeah, I definitely grew up with that strong, you need to believe in Jesus in probably the way that I believe in Jesus, if you want to get to heaven. And if you don't do that, you, you go to hell. And I I remember spending a lot of time trying to rationalize that. And I, I had this image in my mind that we had dug ourselves a hole and Jesus was offering us a hand out of it. And it was our choice whether we accepted that hand out or not. And that was my image of heaven and hell that I, I had constructed to make it make sense in my head. I guess the questions that came later was, you know, if if God, you know, is all powerful and all loving, what, why would he, you know, hand me the shovel in the first place? Why would he um, then condemn me to eternity in, in the hole, even if I later change my mind? And you know, so many other questions around that. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely grew up with a, a very traditional, I guess, view of heaven and hell in that sense. As you were talking about that image of being in the pit with Jesus's hand stretched out to you, I thought of Jesus actually in the pit with you saying, right, what should we do about this then? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's actually a much better picture of yeah. what the gospel really is. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, but that's interesting. I've got to be completely honest. I don't remember any any of my thoughts about it growing up at all. So I can't really contribute to that. I don't. I don't have any thoughts around it really. No, no, fair. And it's not to like to to bash the church or anything like that. I think a lot of it was no. just assumed for me. Like it was just, it was you know you're a Christian and this is this is Christian belief in the Western world. But you know where that comes from as well is is probably wrapped, more wrapped up in politics than anything else uh, which again probably another yeah. conversation but there's where the where this preaching fire and brimstone comes from 
it, it's not from the Bible that I can see. And, you know, feel free if you're in a listener group to, to correct me but uh, and to discuss it because I'd love to. But I can't see where, where this comes from. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, Steve Chalk is um, quite quite damning <laughs> um, of this um, theology, and he um, he he talks about how this this sort of came about in kind of um, medieval time, didn't it? Um, yeah. This sort of theology, and it came about in Steve Chalk's language and in in his words about and um, about the time that the the church was running out of money and they needed a new way of raising money and. That that's kind of his perspective on it. I think I I don't know the history. I don't know enough to comment on it. But I when I read that, I thought, oh wow, that's that's a strong statement, isn't it? He's uh, <laughs> nothing if he's not bold, is he? I know. Yeah, <laughs> but my goodness. Yeah. I think there's something to be said about actually over time and over the kind of the way that um, the Christian church through different historical eras has latched onto the imagery of hell and all these different things. I think that some people enjoy the idea of hell because it makes yeah. them feel that certain people that they'll be vindicated, you know, that there'll be vindication for where they've been wronged. Yeah, yeah. And that actually, you know, when we think about some of the horrors of the world, that people are going to pay for those abhorrent actions. And so I think that it's true that some people actually take comfort in the idea of hell because it's how they go, well, you know, that's so wrong and that's so alien to me, but there will be justice for that. Um, mm. Yeah. I was uh, watching a video that um, that you shared earlier, actually, um, with N.T. Wright discussing... Um, his views on heaven, which uh, I didn't have time to process it properly, I'll be honest. There's quite a lot in there. Um, but he mentions why is it in America, which is like the most prosperous um, civilization in the history of the world, why is that culture so obsessed with the idea of hell? And I think it's sim- similar to what you were saying, Emily, that, that um, the, the idea that there's going to be a, an overriding justice, but I think there's also a, a little bit of an element of finger pointing as well as as, um, as Steve Chop mentioned in his book that he mentioned earlier, Ed, that um, it's always the guys who are in that make the rules as to who's in and out. It's never people very rarely say these are the rules, but you know I don't fall into that category. It's always those guys that you know I believe, so I'm going to heaven. You need to do the same. Um, but yeah, looking through. That, that, that book about the history of the church and where it comes from and it's a, I mean it's a really scathing cynical view isn't it that that yeah. kind of a, an entire theology is being built upon needing, needing a bit of cash but as yeah. we mentioned earlier <laughs> it's really really um it, it works doesn't it it works really really well it's really effective to push the button of fear and and it's the same in we see you want to sell newspapers make people scared if you want to you know make news travel make people scared or point a finger at someone and saying it's their fault we should be scared of them so it works we know it works yeah. it, it does make a little bit of sense yeah and I, I think it's it's so odd that us as christians do that because you know when you look at the life of jesus every time he sees people making a very clear in and out binary he goes and flips it doesn't he he goes yeah. and says all the people that you were said are, are out are in and maybe you're the ones that are out and he, he flips it on its head. So I think we're very bold to go and start doing that in, in the strong way that we do. 
definitely I, d- I think bold and and wrong as well like i think it's because it yeah. can be very damaging for people uh, obviously heard it said bad, bad theology costs lives and i think it's mm. true i think whether you whether you see that as physical lives was probably an, a, 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 an argument to support that but certainly life is in life in its fullness it really people a lot of people really miss out on on living really fulfilling lives because of bad theology or because they've been pointed at and said you can't do this you shouldn't do that because of x y and z where there's not really any foundation for it that i can see mm. some people really like to say they go like um they like to like use hell as like oh well i'm going to hell anyway so i'm gonna do this like i don't know if you've got people yeah. that say that they're like i'm just gonna do this because i'm already going to hell and i'm like Oh, that's sad that you think that. <laughs> <laughs> Justification for it. Yeah. It's just like those throwaway comments. It's so seeped into, isn't it? That like language. It's, it's just really interesting. And it is I mean, even just, yeah, outside of religious perspective, like you said, people saying like, oh, I'm definitely going to hell. You know, if you make a, a bad choice or I, I hear people say it all the time and it's just, it's just seemed to be that that's, there is a perception of, heaven and hell and hell is for the bad people and heaven's for the, the good people but there doesn't seem to be any biblical distinction as to who that who that fits into and, and where or even if it exists at all outside of a physical place yeah i was talking to uh, mark elliott who's the youth specialist for the yorkshire south division of the salvation army and he he um mentioned some research that he, he had done in i think a previous role or Oh, at some point and he said that um lots and lots of people will identify uh, will say that they don't believe in god but um but actually a good portion of those same people say that they do believe in heaven and hell um and so there's this very odd thing where loads of people believe in you know an afterlife they believe in this this kind of binary thing of good people go here bad people go there um because i guess that ingrained sense of justice we we want to see that in some way but um yeah, but those people didn't necessarily have to believe in a God to believe in that framework. That's really interesting. And the prize Definitely. of the gospel is not a place in heaven. The prize of the gospel is relationship with Jesus. That's yeah. True. Yeah. It shouldn't. It shouldn't need another character. Do you know what I mean? It shouldn't need anything other than that. Like that is fulfillment in it. I'd still like to know my stats though. <laughs> <laughs> question that's slightly off the topic that we're i guess it's not really off the topic but it's away from the questions that we'd agreed um i guess the the flip side of do you believe in heaven do you do you think there is a sorry do you believe in hell would be do you think there is a heaven do you think there is a place where god sits as such at all or do you do you think the same as the, the hell question is there is there no heaven in in the same way you'd say there is no hell this is where i get stuck because i think there is but I, I couldn't tell you why. I think I think there's enough to point towards it. Given, I, I really believe that mostly the heaven and hell, when it's talked about, is here and now, and and in this world and in this era. But there's also lots of talks of the age to come, and what that is, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. I'm not really sure. Yeah. But I like to. There, there is an age to come. I, I believe that. I don't know what it looks like. I like to think it's. Mm nice and heaven in its traditional view but do you take just my own baggage do you you think 
is that are you thinking of sort of a new heaven and a new earth sort of from the bible is that where you're taking that from yeah yeah i guess so and just like the idea of god residing somewhere just like in in my head makes more sense than there just being another i think it's because i'm just so bound up in this binary it's this or it's that yeah um i don't it's hard to see beyond that so uh, so i think i i will say i'm trying to see beyond that by saying yes i think there is i don't know what it is but it's also now but it's also in the future and it might be and it might not so. I mean, this is kind of just turning into me interviewing Nick, but you are saying <laughs> basically everything that I'm thinking, but in better words than I could put it into. So I'm not saying many words, but you're saying everything I wanted to say. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, well, Tom Wright, uh, when I was watching him earlier on this topic, he talks about heaven as a temporary place before we get to the kingdom of God being established on earth, which is a whole nother thing. And I don't, I don't know enough to get into that. But yeah, I believe that. The, the grand story of of creation and the gospel is that God will renew and restore and bring all things to himself. And I believe that of the earth, I believe that of, of creation as much as, as us, uh, as people. So, yeah, I think when we talk about, you know, long term, I, I, I hope to see, you know, a, a creation that is restored to what God had intended for it, um, where we're all brought into presence with him and, yeah. It's another thing that Tom Wright said um, is that, yeah, all our language about the future are, um, is like signposts pointing into a fog. Yeah, love that. and the signposts are, are accurate. They're good signposts, but they don't tell us exactly what to expect when we get there um, because it, it's yeah, it's beyond us at the moment. And I, I find that helpful. That Paul says the same thing, is that not you, Paul? Paul off of the Bible. Maybe I said um, the same thing. You might have done as well, but it says like we only see a reflection, but we'll see, we will see in all its, you know, in its glory. I think that's nice, particularly if you think about biblical reflection. When we think now, we think mirror, and that's like got a lot of, that's like very much a, a modern thing. But if you think of a reflection in Bible times, you're probably looking into a river or maybe like a broken bit of glass or something you wouldn't get it wouldn't be a crystal clear image like we get in a mirror it would be something quite distorted or murky and i think that's a really nice it's just, it's the same thing in different words i guess is it's pointing into something that we can't quite see but it's a good feeling that there's something there one of the favorite um like messages that i've heard on this topic actually came from um our D- divisional leader jane cowell who spoke about, um, she flipped the analogy of all hell breaking loose on its head and talked about all heaven breaking loose. Did anyone, was anyone there when she spoke that? I love that analogy and it stuck with me, the idea of all heaven breaking loose and that the thin places of a, we feel that the heavenly Mm. dimension, something of heaven is breaking through in the earthly realm. And I just wondered, I know that this isn't part of the just questions that we asked, whether you've got a particular experience or tangible moment where you felt like you could set, you could sense and feel like one of those heavenly moments of heaven breaking loose. Uh, yeah, one that comes to mind is uh, my wife Sophie and I were in a McDonald's in Liverpool and it was incredibly spiritual. Um, well, on the best, uh, I start. Yeah. Um, and we were just there Um just getting some nuggets or something and it was really late and we saw this couple walk in and they had that they um we'd seen them outside chatting with a homeless guy and they'd got this homeless guy up and walked him into mcdonald's and well just chatting with him like in such a 
a normal way. And they bought him bought him a meal, and then they gave him just a big hug, and they they stayed chatting with him for a while uh, while while they ate, and then they walked off, and I was just like almost moved to tears because I was just so blown away by by this really simple act and by this really and and I just thought you know how arrogant are we as Christians sometimes where we think we've got a monopoly on Jesus working in people's lives because absolutely Jesus was working in their lives. I have no idea if they were a Christian, but they taught me something yeah. about Christ that day. And yeah. yeah, that, that was, yeah, a real, a real tangible example, I think of having being lived, lived out. Yeah. My, the one that springs to mind for me is completely different, um, which probably says something about God's sort of variety in his power. Um, but yeah, the, at the top of a hill in the peak district, um, just outside Castleton, a really beautiful place. Um, and I remember just just sitting up there and just marveling at God's creation and at just how beautiful the world is, and really simple, like just just a beautiful beautiful countryside. Um, but sitting up there, just feeling really close to God and His majesty and power at the same time as His, you know, finite detail of a blade of grass that I'm sat on. Awesome. I think it's hard. It's hard for me because I think the more the older i get i sound like an old man the the more i just see it in everything like yeah. the more the more i've started to particularly my mindset's changed away from you know us and them and it just being us all together the more i see it like you were saying ed just in people who like some of the lads in, in the football team just some of like the sacrifices they that they make to to be part of a, a Christian league or part of a Christian team making decisions that they probably would be against their nature. That for me, is, I'm seeing Jesus working through those, through those guys, just that sacrifice for a, a common goal. It's just, it's really little things, but there's so many of them that day to day to day um, that I just start to see this everywhere. So it's hard to pinpoint a specific example for me. Um, I don't know if you're about to say the same thing, Emily, I just kind of jumped in ahead of you. <laughs> Uh, no, I've, I've, I mean, I've thought of a particular example, which was, um, which was that a, a child that I'd, I'd worked with for quite a while, um, who I guess like all the kind of structures of education had, had basically kind of rejected her in all kinds of different ways, um, and she ended up actually being excluded from the school. But there was a moment where she'd found such a sense of community and heaven breaking through in the environment of the sanctuary, which we have, that when we had a carol service at Christmas, she ran in the rain um, the whole length of a bus route that she would usually go on to come and to be a part of something that she'd been invited to and that she'd be give, been given a sense of responsibility for. And she missed it, like she missed the event. But when she arrived, the sight of her running um, down the corridor to be a part of something where she felt that she was loved and where she felt that she was community, that was one of those heavenly moments that you just think, oh my goodness, this is what, this is what the gospel is. This is like a child mm -hmm. that, you know, is now not even in that school and sadly, you know, is, is in care, but finding a place where they would just run to, they're adopted into that family. That for me was one of the places of heaven 
but you know but like you've said nick really messages from friends that wouldn't profess to being christian that are like almost encouraging spiritual words that they want to give you um i, ha I once had a friend text me saying you know something about god and using you get using your talents that god has given you for his glory she sent me that once and i was like what like you know you're not a christian <laughs> and you sent me that and so yeah i just think seeing heaven all around us definitely i think like you said ed it's getting away from that that arrogance that the the, the monopoly on jesus belongs to christians because i, I think the, the more i thought about it and whilst you guys have been talking the more i see it outside of christianity the more it, maybe because it strikes me more not saying that you know <laughs> within christian fellowships it doesn't happen but i think because it's it strikes you a little bit more when you're open to the idea of actually these guys can teach me something about jesus rather than me teaching them something about jesus mm. i think when you when you start to adopt that kind of attitude you just it, it's just hard not it just smacks you in the face so often um mm. and it seems like a little bit of a um a wishy-washy answer but I, I really believe I believe it to be true that like you can just if, if you look hard enough even you don't even need to look to be honest if you just if you just apply that lens to looking at life then you'll see you'll see heaven like right here right now and that and that for me that's that's what it's all about that's the point of Christian living is bringing the kingdom here now for for the good of the community hmm. Oh, I think that's that's a great place to to end this conversation, isn't it? That we 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 have this huge opportunity to see heaven breaking out all around us. Um, mm. So yeah, I, I pray that all of you listening will will start to see that or continue seeing that in your in your week. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Uh, we really do appreciate you being here. And if you would like to carry on the conversation, please make sure you do that in the listener group. And if you want to let us know what statistic of your own you want to hear when you get to heaven, then please do let us know. Yeah, we'd love to hear that. <laughs> okay, and until next time, be well. <laughs> I love be well. I love be well.